rather than having made prudent life choices all along, most of us tend to only seek healthful solutions once we've had a scare in the form of a diagnosis or event. This is HealthScape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. In this program, we'll show you the techniques, innovations, and holistic ideas that you can use to put yourself on the path to better health. Now, here is Dr. Trevor Campbell. Hello, and welcome to HealthScape. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell. Today's show is part two of The Anatomy of Death and Montage, a discussion with author Ivan Obolensky. It is a continuation of our discussion on the subject of death, the one inevitability of life that just also happens to be one of the least discussed, even at funerals. Ivan, welcome again to Healthscape, round two. Hey, thank you, Trevor. I think a quick review, Ivan, is required of part one, so please interject and expand wherever you deem necessary. Um, Okay, so in part one, we explained what a montage was, which is a combination of different elements that may be perceived as a more unified whole, single concept or image. It also happens to be a more synthetic treatment of a subject or concept. Um, By highlighting aspects, we build up the concept rather than the more usual analytical approach that breaks things down into smaller constituent parts. Now, the analytic uh, process, if highly respected, is not always suitable for complex and seemingly paradoxical phenomena or uh, concepts. We also pointed out the importance of paradox when considering death, um, paradox being a statement or proposition that appears to be contradictory, but in reality expresses a possible truism. We highlighted that what appears to be more feared than dying is actually what happens in the post-mortem period, Um, and whatever that may look like. This is, of course, not a problem from the viewpoint of secular humanism, as in this particular case, One is probably the only one in your circle that doesn't know you are dead. We considered the early attitudes towards death. Ancient cultures, Tibetan, ancient Egyptians, and the shamanic uh, traditions, as well as the tremendous influence of religion, especially the um, church in medieval Europe, where it was the dominant social force for centuries. A good deal of the trepidation appears to be FOMO or fear of missing out based on what we have all experienced. That is mainly life as we happen to know it, which also just happens to be a single standalone study, of course, and not even a study at that, but rather an experience. We discussed NDEs or near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences that include that are very well documented, by the way, and it's now believed that about 20%, fully a fifth of people undergoing cardiac arrest have some form of this. Um, It involves changes in thoughts and emotions, paranormal and unearthly type um, events and experiences. These can be uh, studied extensively uh, and there appears to be consistency years later, exactly the same story with almost zero loss of the memory over time. Now this makes it an unusual in itself. 
Um, there's and more alarming or more interesting, I should say, there is invariably an increase in spirituality after the event with um, spiritual transformation and well-being. We pointed out some cultural oddities such as the Mexican festival of the dead, Las Dias de los Muertos, which is not at all sad. Anyone who's witnessed witnessed it would see it as a celebration of the dead ancestor. And it's a fun event and laced with laughter, actually. Um, uh, The other thing that was mentioned, a very important concept we feel, is that death also charges and gives value to the utility we have of having a life, as it makes time not only seem more scarce, but cuts the the amount of time we have available. Um, On this note, we also uh, um, remarked on the immortality of the Greek and Roman pantheons, where the overarching theme of the gods and goddesses was really pointless cruelty and spitefulness. In his play, King Lear, Shakespeare writes, quote, as flies to wanton boys are we to the gods, they kill us for their sport. John Locke, the philosopher some time ago, said that the self is identified with consciousness and the self consists of sameness of consciousness. He also touched on Jung's collective unconsciousness, which to Jung was part of the unconscious, um, that part of the mind containing memories and impulses which the individ- of which the individual was kind of unaware and, and it was common to humanity as a whole and thought to originate in the inherited structure of the brain. Now, along with that, we have a group consciousness behavior, which looks at how large groups of people sometimes begin to think, behave, remember, act, and act out as one entity, raising the possibility that groups may have a consciousness as well. And this seems to have gained some made a mainstream acceptance, apparently. So, Ivan... Um, just to continue some of the points, you know, before we try and make sense of it, <laughs> not easy task, right? Um, but, you know, this idea that the mind may be outside the brain as well, it's triggered and it's generated, but it may permeate outside the body is kind of still if one relies on search engines, um, heretical, it would appear. Would you agree with that? Well, I think it's the mind. This gets interesting. Um, Michael Crichton, of all people, wrote a very interesting small book called Travels, which was his own observations. And um, he was very much into the paranormal and uh, as a doctor, actually, and he he was he was talking about auras. I mean, we talk about, you know, is the mind just restricted to the brain? And um, they would not necessarily that's not necessarily the case. Um, we do know that one, you know, one can feel a presence, um, you know, oftentimes, uh, before one uh, something happens or a person's behind you, you can sense it. And 
yes, there could be a lot of intuitive elements to this. But even you know when you think about intuition, uh, you you have a there are many brains in the body. I mean, there is a brain in the heart. There is those in the eyes. There is a there is a tremendous amount of you know ganglia and stuff like that in in most lower creatures. And only you know as evolution proceeded did you get you know uh, creatures with basically one brain in a in one area. And even then, uh, it's split into two parts. It's 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 so you know this idea that the mind is restricted to the brain um, is not necessarily correct. And when we think about intuition, uh, we are probably getting you know inputs from a great number of different things. And when one thinks about it, why well, you know this sort of goes along with the idea that there is it's just not all in the head. You know, there's something also that expands around us, like a field. Right. Because I I, I became interested in the writings of Rupert Sheldrake um, in the early 90s. And just one quote from him. We have been brought up to believe that our minds are inside our heads, that mental activities nothing but bra- is nothing um, but brain activity instead i suggest that our minds extend far beyond our brains they stretch out through fields that link us to our environment and to each other now having said that his theory of morphic resonance although peer reviewed and, and so on it's not exactly being embraced by the um materialist sort of um you know by by most mi- mainstream scientists but when one looks at like the group consciousness, the collective unconsciousness, um, and even you know multiple discoveries or simultaneous inventions, and it's this hypothesis that most scientific discoveries or inventions are, are made independently more or less and sim- simultaneously by multiple um, scientists and inventors. I mean, there's a few that involve just Tesla, um, Marconi, and and Edison. And it's almost as though something's out there. Now, there are theories to explain this, but, um, you know, like like there's even the Darwinist theory of, of concepts and then groundbreaking information that comes up, that ties up, uh, filters out, that comes and ties up with... Um, a few problems together and people like the penny drops like simultaneously. But this has been described from the 17th century, um, simultaneous inventions. And, and it kind of stretches the imagination to think that people had that kind of communication. When you were lucky if your letter got from Germany to Italy, um, you know, kind of thing. So, so, um, the problem I find is like in, in medicine, we accept that the multifactorial nature of disease because you cannot only explain it with one phenomenon or you shouldn't try. But it seems that in this sort of thing, it's one, you know, like pick a theory. And um, I can say for chronic pain, I mean, how many theories are there not that have all added value, have utility? but don't kind of capture it completely. So that resonated with me. And I've always thought, and now that's apparently also 
uh, widely accepted is that our consciousness, we act more like radio um, uh, transmitters and receivers, uh, antennae, you know. So it's something that, that well, for me, won't go away. And I mean, a skeptical person is quite at liberty to say I'm not surprised, whatever that means in that context. But um, it's something that I think will be sad, will will not be explained by, you know, electro purely by electromagnetic and chemical interactions, because we've looked for a um, reason for chronic pain like that. And ultimately, it's about behaviors and about uh, viewpoints and focus and, and so on. No, no, I think I know. I think uh, it, it is important. I mean, when I one of the things that always struck me is is the idea of an idea. An idea has really no mass, and you know, and mm-hmm. yet it can be transmitted um, right. all across. So you you have to wonder. Uh, I mean, where do ideas actually reside? Um, you have, of course, yes, simultaneous uh, scientific discoveries, which are, you know, it's happened. I mean, even evolution was one such thing. I mean, there, there, was, there were multiple people come up with the same thing at the same time. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I think scientists get so, you know, weirded out about what they're working on because they don't want it to leak and that maybe, and also yeah. to publish first before that other person on the other yeah. side of the world does it and 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 this is behavior and one of the things i think we haven't necessarily brought up is the possibility okay so are we in a simulation um of course that idea seemed very far-fetched uh you know in the past but the more you see video games and the more you begin to understand a world creation from the from the point of view of a gamer the more you begin to look at you know, our own existence with, uh, you know, with through that lens, so to speak. And you, it definitely makes one wonder, uh, I mean, how, how are we in a simulation? So what does that mean? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, what is the, what is the programming that's, that's actually going on here? And um, it's possible. Uh, I mean, I remember reading Bostrom's paper on the subject and it was a, uh, you know, it's, it's suitably opaque. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. I mean, you know, have it no other to, way. <laughs> yeah, I know. Having to, you know, he he puts out his three points, and um, of one of which must be true. And I, I sit there and I put my wits around that one. And it's like trying to absorb a paradox one more time. It's uh, you know, we always seem to come back to that, Trevor. I mean, it's like. Life, death, it's paradoxical. And, uh, you know, they seem to be, you know, inter, they're just linked in such a way that you can't, you can't pull them apart too much because it just, it doesn't seem to work any other way. It seems like we have to be, we have to deal with the fact that you got both and, and, and neither you, you trying to understand one by understanding the other is, well, it's it's hard, you know. You you can't do it. You can only see it as a as a giant thing, and of course that means you have to step out.
outside the universe, like go to a meta level in order to to grasp it. And as we know, when we try and, you know, how do you imagine, you know, 15 dimensions? Well, I think that's really, really hard, particularly when you're stuck in the third one. Right. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, got, we got weeded out quite early, actually, when one comes. But I mean, look, it's that light wave, wave duality, the light wave particle duality. I mean, the best summary I ever heard was a one-liner, which is, what is it? Well, it's a, it's a wave, it's a particle when you're looking at it, and it's a wave when you're not. Yeah, exactly. And then you go into the, you go into, you know, various, you know, when you start getting into particle physics, I mean, things start getting very strange. And then, you know, you have, uh, again, effects at a distance having to do with spin and opposite spin. And then, you know, how fast do those motions, you know, travel across space and time? Because then you get into that whole, you know, speed of light uh element and and how you can't go beyond it i mean einstein was extraordinarily clever in in some ways because of his idea of, of gravity as being you know not a force per se but uh an aspect of of space and mass uh that really because you know that was that was the difficulty is how does gravity you know transmit itself over in extraordinary lengths, you know, which are almost impossible to to comprehend. And yeah. the only way to do that was there was no force per se. There could only be fields and um, and space and mass, which you know warps it. And and that gets really. I mean, I tell you, the math on that is is absolutely outrageously interesting. Oh, I can believe it. Um, you know, it's funny, funny the, the electrons can only begin to describe their dance, um, as you point out, and that's only once the Boson-Higgs chorus has stopped nattering as to what giving commentary. <laughs> it's just when you think it's, you know, it, it gets more complicated. But, you know, you talk about opaque article. Opaque can be good, you know. I, I, the, the, the sort of hidden value... Um, opacity itself may have more function than uh, utility than meets the eye. I mean, in literature, for example, uh, Aldous Huxley famously said that poetry was at its best when only half understood. Because I think it gets us, it becomes a generator for further thought and an interactive. And it also truly reflects that inherent plasticity that we cannot iron out. Uh, ever and shouldn't try. Uh, so once once one thinks, you know, once thinks like this, it just it just becomes easier to accept what's not understandable as part of human limitation. And that's yeah. as good as it's we're doing what we can. You know, it's the best efforts or well, others I should say. Now, re regarding a simulation, as as fate would have it. The last two weeks, I think it was on LinkedIn, I read a neuroscience article. And why I say I think it was uh, um, uh, LinkedIn, because I, you know, I, I read it in a social media type way rapidly and not like a serious, although it was a very serious article, very good one. But they, they reckon it's about a, the consensus now about the, among the cognoscenti is that it's about 50-50% chance of a simulation. So <laughs> yeah. it, 
50 50 is quite a lot from maybe right um just the one subject and it might have been the same article Giulio Tononi um he he says you know that basically consciousness it's a great uh, test for thing, you know for people who um or understanding the concept or, or trying to understand the concept of consciousness it's got to be structured differentiated distinctly different but integrated um into something much larger than itself the more information stored and processed between in his in the case here the neurons um in different areas of the brain the higher the level of consciousness and um in chronic pain because it's a negative thing that would be the higher the level of pathology almost so these component receptors have to communicate um and 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 it's it's a whole package deal kind of thing um right so the other thing that I could have mentioned in the first part you know this is so much talking about death is almost like trying to talk about the life in two sessions you're going to leave stuff out up <laughs> this is what yes. i found but um the cyclical nature of of um time versus the linear you know we think because we sort of divorced from nature we have all have nature deficit disorder none of us or very few of us you know are know much about food production obviously there farms we know that and there's agro um, agri business but we we not an agrarian society a long time since we were and and we don't live close to nature so we don't see the cyclical nature of of plants for example you know it made it through five really cold winters and this went last winter wasn't cold but it died we accept these cycles so if we look at our life doing laps it can we can cut off the cut off point for convenience is a year it's our birthday i have funny enough i've said after my 30th birthday i i don't care anymore i'm doing laps funny enough not not relating it to anything but um so so there's that acceptance of it didn't make it made four laps and yeah i i prepared and i think we were more comfortable now we think we on this unwavering uh, path linear uh, and and if we honest we bad decisions have taken us on several detours uh, or sometimes right of course and it's sort of like how dare you um take me out of this course this endless or what may, maybe at one point was thought to be endless journey that i get to take Uh, and there is something about that um not something i think that's there's a, a big shift in the psyche happened then um, no i think so i think so too i mean part of that is the whole again it goes into the idea of linearity you go into the whole idea of progress and again these are concepts that uh, i think humans put into things i mean what is progress one of the things we do know is that the universe i think is is moving towards a more complex structure um mm-hmm. and so there is a tendency towards complexity and but the interesting thing about uh, it it's uh you get this duality that comes out because you you when you have something that's complex you also have 
its robustness. I mean, that's one of the great things about lungs and, you know, and trachea, things like that, you know, bronchial tubes. I mean, there's so many of them. So if one of them, you know, just doesn't quite function, you know, it's taken over by others. So you have a much, uh, so with complex structures, you get a much more sort of robust thing, but you have this other element that comes in and that's called surprise, you know, where you get that emergence of things that are unexpected. So again, how that works in the whole, you know, as, as us, you know, when we all get together and there's a lot of humans, you have, uh, I mean, what does that create? Well, we have the internet and now we have, you know, the internet and then there will probably be a higher level of complexity on top of that. So you have this longevity tends to be promoted by that because it's just everything is so complex you you know rip one part and you know the rest of it keeps going going but you also get this surprise element and i think that's that's very interesting it's like a new beginning so of course you know when you have new beginnings you have to have the ends of of something else and that Mm. is that is also so you know when we look at death we have to one of the things that surprised me when i i listened to our our last talk on it was there is a hopefulness to it in the sense that we shun it because it's never really brought up, as you said, and not really examined. And yet it is something that all of us must examine. I mean, because it is the final frontier, so to speak. Right. (laughs) There's no more frontier than that. And uh, but when you sort of start to discuss it, break it down and do what we're doing on it, it's. What's interesting to me is that I'm not as freaked out about it, you know, and, and that I think is something which is really an important element that people need to understand and uh, and also grasp. But whether that's a function of age or, you know, or intelligence and knowledge is an open question. Yeah, yeah. For me, I find something very comforting that's actually possibly will be seen as infantile, but like nobody gets sent back because they screwed up from the minute they got there. You know what I mean? Um, That kind of concept is almost surreal, but it's like there's no (laughs) feedback from people, from, from, um, you know, there's there's not that feeling that somebody was sent back in disgrace or something. I know that... (laughs) It's not going to happen because of their body. And we identify with the body, which brings me to another point. We think we are what we see in the morning when we go to the washroom. And, and of course, it's our consciousness that people know uh, or the amount of our consciousness we allow them to know or our deceit. That's what they know. I mean, you know, while uh, uh, beauty and physicality are attractions, they are are not really what we get to to know um, at a at, at a, a, psych, a well, of course, at a, a psychological level and at an experiential level. So, what is dying is that the body is expiring, and I don't know, just years of well, not dwelling on it, but it, the the thought percolating up is kind of sort of like leaves me saying, well, Trev, what do you expect this to go on forever? And I, I don't know, that's just the me thing. I find it very um, 
curiously, curiously com comfortable. I mean, it may be seen by some as odd or um, weird or maybe even pathogenic, uh, pathological, I mean. Well, I think it's also true that, uh, and, and it is that way. I mean, you know, it's like driving a car. Your car eventually, you know, fades. Uh, it, uh, it, I mean, in Uruguay, where I live, there's a, you know, there's very, very old cars running around and they're still going. But, you know, you don't see many, I mean, they eventually die. And, uh, you know, you go and you get another one. And um, oftentimes you find, in, you know, in, in mathematics, in life, it's, it's, there's odd parallels that, mm -hmm. you know, you have, um, you can see a, a certain pattern at a lower level and you can find it again in a higher level. Um, you have uh, like the helix. I mean, we find it at a real micro level, but at the same time, the whole idea of cyclicality, but moving in a corkscrew through time begins to has has a an extraordinary profound idea in that yes it's cyclical but then again it's not it's the whole idea that history uh doesn't repeat but it does rhyme in weird ways and mm -hmm. um and so you know you see these things and when you look at okay well when is something totally done i mean in, in a weird way you start science with the whole idea of you know the conservation of energy and uh those type of things and um of course when you start getting into you know the whole arrow of time and you know how how does that all work and uh how things sort of evolve or change you know that's you you sort of see you see a foreverness in it and yet you can also see the end of something so you know it is would not be too far or too big of a stretch to figure right. that you know when you look at life and death you're just you're just it's it's no big it's just the same thing continuing and you know if you look at it as two parts of the same coin we begin to you know you begin to get some sort of a i guess a closure mm -hmm. on it you know again you have to go to a pretty high level and it's it's quite different when, you know, you're, say, on the street and a guy comes up to you with the gun and you realize that, you know, life is about to end and you, you know, what about that that milk that you left out? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like that's part of the difficulty of having to deal with death is this if, if, if it's sudden and, un, you know, predicted in the sense that it just sort of comes at you out of nowhere. And then, you know, life ends and there's all this unfinished business, so to speak. Right. You know, it, and that's where, you know, people start to freak out about it. But, you know, when you take somebody who's really old and, you know, they may be 90 years old and they go, you know, I'm doing just fine. You know, the show's up. Good. You know, I'll deal with it. But until then, you know, I'm continuing. <laughs> you know, it's a different attitude. Yeah. No, it's it's yeah, and of course we all going to behave differently. Like we be, make different choices in life, and so on. We all going to have our, our baggage about something like death. It's it's inevitable. The interesting thing is that if one believes that consciousness extends outside the brain and can exist outside of the brain's physiology, it is plausible that it may survive physical death. I mean, it's just so radically different from the existence we've known. Now, ideas on consciousness are surely universally interesting. For example, 
just hearing the consciousness is like a radio antenna picking up consciousness out there must surely get even the most uninterested and disinterested, by the way, or bland going. I, I, I just need to tell you about an event which is going to sound trivial at first, uh, but it, it, it kind of led me onto a sort of thought experiment. And uh, when I was 18, my first year at university, I read the following graffiti graved in ballpoint pen on a lecture desk stating, and so I'll quote as best I can remember, mankind is but a trivial and unimportant blip in the complex and convoluted life cycle of a sperm cell. Um, okay, at, at 18, I was probably already a legend in my own mind. And I, you know, I love the fact that it had that mandatory subversive feel to it. Uh, certainly rage against the system. And um, it was funny. It's still kind of funny to me. Um, but it made me, it was amazing that for a long time, um, it wasn't a, recur a, a, a recurrent uh, thought, but it would surface what it was, because it would surface every now and then. Um, so, um, it led me to thinking why we are glued to this notion of a beginning, middle, and end, whether it's a novel, a culture, or a relationship. Um, it, it, that out-of-the-box uh, uh, graffiti led me to this. So then I thought, well, you know, if, if we consider uh, – the embryo, you know, the human development from fertilization of the gametes to birth, we see this fascinating process. The process of cell growth and differentiating with an overarching theme of, of basically folding this masterpiece of origami, if you like, tissue origami, of the three primal layers, which are endo, ecto, and mesoderm, now, when you look at images from certain times of the fetus, it may represent a tadpole, and some even say a newly hatched bird for a brief period, um, until this human, mini-human is extruded from the birth canal with or without you know, third-party help. So I immediately thought, well, if you could warn um, a fetus about life or you couldn't prepare them like in, uh, they could it could be translated into you know uh, information somehow to them what would you tell them and the answer is well for me is why would you tell them anything they'll find out soon enough and basically what i can offer is a very truncated <laughs> slice or, or a sliver of, you know, and of my experience, but, you know, peppered with biases and, and all that. And I think the same does apply to death. Um, if, if, if we could get sort of a coherent communication, what are these weightless, infinite, timeless thought, thoughticals? <laughs> Or, you know, what would they tell us? And then I know it's a, it's kind of a, a weird thought exper experiment, but it's, it's you know, when, you, when what you're looking into seems very opaque, one has to look at what we know, 
or what we think we know in this life. I don't know if, you know, if that's in any way, do you find that in any way helpful? I think, I think it's helpful in the sense that, you know, it's, again, we go back to the ideas. And so when, you know, you think of death, you think of the cessation of, of who you are and what you are and, and all of this type of thing. But again, when you really look at, if you really want to embrace it, you have to, it's what you have to get rid of. You know, you have to begin to envisage, you know, a being without the biases, without all of that. And, you know, also from what you said from that, uh, that uh, your graffiti quote, I mean, you get back into the Dawkins idea that it's basically genes and it's it's all genes and uh you know eventually you know that sort of gene concept will move to you know electronics and now you have you know this whole creation of a an ai consciousness and um, what does that mean i mean does consciousness mean uh, an indication of of just simply uh, complexity that it requires uh, a certain network in order to sort of manifest itself. Um, and it, it, this gets, again, it goes into, you look at what is living because that's what consciousness is, at least to us is we're alive. And then you look at death and you go, well, is it the cessation of that consciousness or is it merely, you know, the cessation of all the structure and the context that that builds that consciousness and when you start to remove all the context um what do you have left and you you know you get into this this whole it's almost like you can see a star you know what i mean it's like a bright light and that's about it and 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 maybe that's really what it is and what we just have to it's like being on the surface of a pool it's like the wave you know, the wave and the water, you know, just because there's there's water and then there's the wave on top of it. And maybe the wave is the consciousness. And when, you know, the wave crashes on the floor, on the shore, you know, what do you have? You, well, you still have the water. And, um, and so it just repeats in another different, in a different form. And, uh, but I do, I do see that. I mean, it's, it, we are a, a, a mixture of all our biases and everything like that. And so, you know, you know, those end and, and, and new ones begin. And it's almost as if it's a, it's a given, you know, if you have, it's like your addictions, you know, you're addicted one way, now you're addicted to another. It's like, um, it's, you know, it's, these are natural transitions. And, and we unfortunately have only a, a limited framework, but I think, you know, knowing history helps uh, because you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, it's sort of, it, it, it gets tricky here because if the fetus did have sufficient consciousness, now we know that organogenesis, the, the, most of the organs are sort of kind of formed by three months and brain, of course, is going to take, have a long period of development as opposed to the others. Uh, but if it could sense the possibility that this termination of, of its warm, pulsating, well, its needs met environment uh, might, might end suddenly, it, it it could well dread it, unaware of this panoply of 
possibilities and delights, maybe, that lurk around the corner in this novel, vastly expansive world that it's going to be born into. In fact, it takes a few months, a few weeks, certainly, um, quite a few weeks before the newborn realizes it's even separate entity from the mother. So we get that story then of this development of, of the you know body um, organs, and um, and the, and expanding consciousness. Uh, obviously, the emphasis is still on the material, but um, it also gets to the, the 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 child also gets to the age maybe a grandparent dies and it starts having this realization that one dies and this somewhat sours the experience. And so they start suppressing it, this death thing. But um, you kind of wonder in this model of consciousness surviving um, death, whether life itself is a very a widely expansive incubation period for the generation of novel consciousness. Um, I, that had to, I don't know, that sounds very odd, but to me that was like, okay, so how many stages are there? Remember the, the trivial blip from the, from the graffiti quote? So, yes. So, I mean, how do you, if you from de novo, how do you generate um, novel consciousness snippets? Uh, I can't think of a better word. Well, they could be large chunks as well. You couldn't just, because, you know, it's got to start with matter. Um, but, and the brain, the brain's job, I mean, apart from running a lot of, of processes uh, or making executive decisions as a predictive organ, as a protective, as, you know, making sense out of all the input, it, it generates consciousness. Well, it's, look at it. Here's, here's another thought that I had on it. If you take a child, like a, a baby or, a, you know, I mean, a fetus, okay, it's just born. What does it do? I mean, there are, you know, there are hardwired biases, you know, in terms of, okay, we need to, to get ourselves some energy. We need to feed. Um, but if you look at, you know, very small children, I mean, they are just constantly inputting. They are constantly looking around, absorbing and sort of contextualizing, I suppose, what it is they see. And at some point, um, you have to, that starts to break down. And, and so you have these boundaries must get up because they, there's just too much information and there's not enough stuff that seems to fit in with all the things that you know. So you create a boundary um, because one can't absorb all the information that is obviously coming into you. And, you know, as soon as you set that boundary, you, you know, you're beginning to form consciousness because for consciousness to be a thing, there must be, you know, a boundary of some sort. And so we find that the boundary gets, you know, kids usually think they're the only ones and then they're the most important thing. And um, because that's, that's how they view life. And it's like their boundaries get really, really fixed. But as you mature, you realize that maybe 
you aren't the only thing. And, and as soon as you really get the idea that there are others and that there are other people, one starts to move toward adulthood. And it's only when you're much, much older that you realize that it was never about you to begin with. You know, in, in, when you were growing up, it's always about you. But when you're older, it's never was about you. And you can actually see that. And sort of like your consciousness is more expansive and maybe more humble, um, plastic, yeah, humble and more plastic, you yeah. know, in the sense that it is. So, you know, again, so when we look at, you know, okay, so death, you know, with life, you know, I remember as I, as I said, as a kid, you know, death frightened the heck out of me. Right. But, you know, when you're older, it, it, it's there, but it's not like a, you know, it's something you, you don't necessarily think about it all the time. You know, it's not like a constant threat. No, no. <laughs> so, sorry. No, that's all. That's it's just it's interesting to me, and I and I saw what I think of it. it. It's when we again, death is part of how do you get that transition, and how do you make it okay in society, and um, you know, and how do you honor the people, and and so we have you know how people handle death has an awful lot to do with the uh how a civilization actually functions and its sort of moral standing i suppose or how it's 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 worth you know to some degree because those people that honor the dead you know are usually civil cultures that are worthy of of of, of looking at and um, they have some they have tremendous value and I would say that that value and how they look at death is, you know, correlated to some degree. Well, just as the pregnancy, now this is quite a out there me a metaphor. We wouldn't have it any other way. Just as pregnancy is the springboard or rocket launcher into life as we know it, do we have a rocket <clears throat> launcher into the next big thing, whatever that is? If we do, then this life is possibly the best bet. It certainly stands between those two events or is placed between the two events, um, you know. So, um, and I, I, I'm kind of led to that odd uh, sort of statement by the fact that mechanistic materialism works very well for science, but science may be a really bad tool for studying consciousness because it's all experience and subjective experience. So, like, are these hypotheses that are even testable? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure it won't stop people trying, and, and that's good. But um, I, I think that that's, there's something in that, that um, we get to a stage where we are timeless, non-material, and infinite, and whatever the arrangement there looks like, obviously, that's... <laughs> That's the advanced course. Um, you know, it, it's there's some kind of configuration going on there that one can't imagine. Just as a fetus, if it has some consciousness, can't imagine what's going next, coming next, or, or maybe it can. Well, yeah, I I agree, and also from what you're describing, I mean, you know, when you you talked about consciousness as being. It's like um, it's sort of like the end product of religious experience, you know. When you you think of 
a person who really has reached a very high level would be in that sort of state. And I had a thought on this, which was, you know, again, we were looking at the paradox of, um, you know, the woman in the swan. You know, you can't look at one. Um, yes. You can only you can't look at both at the both same, at time. The same time. So then they can't work. Well, you know, the, here's the uh, the odd thought was, well, and I'm sure, you know, obviously others have thought this too. Well, maybe we are dead, and that life actually exists um, in the on the flip side. I mean, we're just calling this life when, in fact, actually, this may not be that. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying is that because both uh, with the woman in the swan, both pictures are valid. You know, that's that's the thing. They're both they both exist. So, you know, which one are you? Is it an arbitrary assignment? I mean, right now we're talking, so we consider ourselves alive. But, you know, is that, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting twist because it makes it look, you begin to see that flip-flop. And, right. and maybe science and consciousness, maybe science and, you know, you have the shamanics and you have all the religious elements of it. And maybe the end point is in the same place, but by different routes. Well, it's a, it's a basically, you know, spirit, the, the spirit of something and the matter. We talk about the spirit of the contract, but, but not the letter. You know, the two different things. What is written down cognitively, but it was said in a certain way. It, it's two distinct aspects. And, and, and spirit and matter, you know, whether it's particles or or concepts like you know that imply energy it's different aspects really of the same thing so i think we get hung up by choosing one we, like someone said no only i only see the the good i don't want to see the ugly lady i want to see the beautiful swan but that's kind of missing the point in a funny way um yeah it seems like we have to get com comfort with this. Um, you know, it's simply, I, I think we are not our bodies or even our brains. We are our consciousness. And, you know, in death, this, the training will s simply come off. And often when you go to CMEs, uh, you know, continuous media edu education, they build as the mind-body connection. It drives me bat, I almost said something, uh, ape, you know, because it's as though two lines intersect somewhere and, you know, now what? Applause. It's really a continuum. And the body dies for whatever bodily pathology, um, and now the training wheels are off. So I think yeah. we're going to try and um, wrap up. I just want to say in summary, it appears that the most compelling thing is that the mind may extend beyond the body and not die when the physical side of the mind-body continuum becomes disengaged, liberating the consciousness while the body immediately undergoes what we call autolysis or cellular death and decomposition. What started out as birth, at birth as a body has finally been translated over years of living into a new, unique consciousness, self-organizing and encompassing what's frankly a lot of possibilities of thought and mental experience. It's also interesting that identity is associated more with personality, ideology, conscience, and character than any physical attributes or actions. At the point of liberation, we, or the new us, 
or the, or the new we, I should say, not us. We or the new we are non-material, timeless, and infinite, possibly even indestructible. The womb of life has brought us to another vastly different reality. And so in the spirit of philosophy, we are still confused, but hopefully in a somewhat more interesting way. What are you <laughs> yeah. I think so too. It's like an idea, you know, an idea. Okay. Where does it go? Um, it requires some manifestation and, you know, the idea is separate. I mean, it, it has no wavelength that we know of. It just, it's, it's a thought. And, but in order to be real, it has to be manifested. And in order to be manifested, it has to take some sort of form. And so we have, you know, our bodies. So anyway, that's all. I think also that what's come out of this, I mean, it's not fresh material and for either of us, no. was emphasized is, you know, we will often say people want to control everything. They write a world to control from the grave and, it's all those control issues, and we see enough of, of it in everyday life and, and um, structures and so forth. But not only can't we control everything, we necessarily can't explain everything, and we just have to live with it. Because yes. humans, just as a mate mechanistic materialism may not be the best, best vehicle or tool for exploring consciousness, Humans may not be the best receptacles or generators of understanding. So and I, I agree. That's 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 all, folks. Um, Ivan, thank you very much for. Uh, I know we tend to pogo stick. We've discussed this before, but there's a random the, the, to randomness. There are often hidden advantages as well because it leads on more naturally I think organically to what is already available to us I want to thank you again Ivan for um, for having the courage to take on a talk which seemed mission impossible and which to some have <laughs> probably been proved as such <laughs> but you know i mean look at the end of the day you know as um, we try right and um it's just i think what i said in the beginning was we should try and defang life and shed some life even conferring a perception of familiarity is a soft light so, I agree. That's great. I'm glad we, we had the courage to do it. Okay. Well, I'll speak to you again. And um, this is your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell, in discussion with Ivan Obolensky, the author, thanking you for listening to Healthscape and wishing you well. Thank you for tuning in to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. We hope you'll join us again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time or listen anytime on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a healthy week. Are you satisfied with your chronic pain treatment? Chronic pain experts agree that recovery can only occur 
when the psychological and social issues which help trigger and drive the chronic pain are treated along with the other problems. Medications, injection therapy and a range of physical therapies may provide temporary relief of symptoms but they don't actually address the root causes that drive the chronic pain. I'm Dr. Trevor Campbell, a chronic pain consultant and author of The Language of Pain, a self-help book for those struggling with chronic pain. Add this type of therapy to your existing treatment plan and experience the difference. Get your copy of my book, The Language of Pain, on Amazon. And for further direction, there's also the Language of Pain online course available on my website, www.trevorcampbellmd.com. Act now to take back your life.